loving the Lord. That's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. This lovely psalm, we, we don't know who it was written by. We, there's no person as name in the title, so we're not sure who it was actually written by. But it begins with that great statement, I love the Lord. It just reminds me of Jesus when he was reinstating Peter, how he says to him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That just reminds me of a, an old minister when I was growing up. And uh, in our area, it was my minister, but he was in a neighboring church. But in membership classes, when he was chatting to young people and others about coming into membership, and when all was said and done, he would just turn around and ask them, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And that is a tremendous question to consider as we come to the Lord's table. Do you love Jesus? Yes, you trust in him. Yes, you follow him. But do you love him? That's so important. We're going to see here, first of all, reasons for love in verses 1 to 11. And then we're going to look at how that has worked out in the rest of the psalm. And the first reason for love is given here is responding to our cries. In verse 1, the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. It's because the Lord heard those pleas for mercy that the psalmist made. And the picture here is of a God who is not indifferent to the cries of his children. He recognizes, he hears, he responds to the cries of his children. Uh, for those who are parents, you may remember situations you're with other adults and your children are maybe playing and there's a child crying and you just oh, I hope that's not mine uh, and that. And you can, quite often you can recognize the cry of your child. Isn't it a wonderful thought that God perfectly recognizes our cries? He hears us when we cry. He delights in us and he responds to our cries. He has a love for us which is beyond anything that we can imagine. And of course, he's not going to be idle when his children cry because of course, he's a far better parent than any of us could ever be. And this response to the cries encourages the psalmist here to devote his whole life to calling on the Lord. He says in the verse 2, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. It has created a, a growing trust within him, a growing loving trust with him through the way the Lord has responded to him. And what has happened is he has cried the Lord and the Lord responds his relationship with the Lord has grown. It has deepened through this life of prayer. Oh, that we would grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord through such a life of prayer also. The second reason for the love is deliverance from death. The psalmist has been in a very precarious situation. Look there in verse 3. He says, The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Uh, when I was reading those words, immediately my mind went to the words of Jonah, and that psalm of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2 when he was cast into the depths, and he spoke of that. 
uh, the sense of Jonah drowning. And that's the picture here. It's someone drowning or suffocating almost. The world is coming in on top of them. The trials, the, the challenges of life are coming on top of them, suffocating them, causing them just to feel so, so crushed. But then the situation changes. It changes when they called on the name of the Lord, verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Everything was different when they looked to the Lord. Now notice what he says, he called on the name of the Lord. That's important. It's not just the fact there's magic in saying a prayer. There's magic in our, our words. The name of the Lord. In the Bible, names reveal so much about people. And the Lord's names reveals so much about him. And he's calling upon what he knows about God. And that means the more and more he learned about God, the more and more he experienced God in his life, the more and more confident he was in his praying. God who revealed himself, that's who he's relying on. It's not that he thinks if I say these words, say we prayer, oh, I can't do any harm. He didn't trust his praying. That's the key thing. He trusted the one who he was praying to. His focus wasn't on the words he was uttering. His focus was on the one to whom he was uttering those words. It was his knowledge of God that made the difference. And this deliverance created a, a thanksgiving that he would never lose. Go on to verse 8 and 9. The theme of death comes back again. He says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It's because he is so excited, he's so thankful, so enthused by how the Lord has rescued him. His response is he will walk before the Lord. He will walk in a relationship with the Lord. He will walk and live his life in a knowledge that God is there, God is watching. He will live his life with a high regard for God because this is the God who has delivered him, delivered him from death. And as we think about that, maybe you haven't had a, a near-death experience, uh, but probably that sense of being delivered from our sin comes into this. That's the sense of being delivered from our spiritual death, just knowing that joy. One of the problems is we can lose a sense of that joy as we grow on in a Christian life. That's why I think David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We need to get back to that childlike faith and joy. And then there's thirdly, his gracious character of the gracious character of the Lord that's revealed what God does in his actions reveals his character within him. And the psalmist's conclusion from what God has done in verse 5 is that God is gracious, he is righteous, he is merciful. He knows the heart of God when he watches the actions of God. I don't want to get into politics, but Doug Beatty said something this week when he was all that 
uh, uproar over the tweets he made, and he says, that is not who I am. <laughs> it doesn't really wash. Maybe people can change, but what you say, what you do, does reveal who you are. And God's actions here reveal what he is like. He's a God of grace, righteousness, and mercy. And notice this in verses 6 and 7. It's this knowledge of God that then enables the soul of the believer to be at rest in the midst of this troubled world. It says in verse 6, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He can face the trials of life. He can face the challenge of life and be at peace because he knows the God who he's trusting in. He knows the God who rules over everything. Now, there's no price we can put on that. There's no price we can put on that experience of, of being at peace because we know God. The final part of this, reasons for love in verses 10, 11 in is, is faith in trials. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And what we see here is that the psalmist, he's, he has been able to continue to love the Lord in the most difficult days. He talks about being afflicted there. He's enabled to continue to love the Lord when the lies of the world are all around him because of the faith that he has. His faith enables his love and devotion to the Lord to continue in the most trying of times. And that's what we need when we face challenges in our life, in our families, when we face the opposition and the lies of a hostile world. We need that faith, in a sense, to look beyond what's happening around us and look to the Lord and to be able to trust the Lord in the midst of all that we are enduring. And you know, we can do that. That's what the Lord promises. Isn't it Paul who said that he has learned in every circumstance to be content? He's learned the secret of it. It's, it's his knowledge of the Lord. It's his knowledge of Jesus, which has enabled him when he had wealth or riches not to get carried away, when he has nothing, when hungry, to still have hope because he knew the Lord. So reasons for love, responding to our cries, deliverance from death, his gracious character, Faith in trials enables us to have this love. And then expressing love in verses 12 to 19. The question is asked, what should we do in response to God's goodness? There in verse 12, the psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? How are we to respond to this great love that God has for us in redeeming us and all? Well, first of all, lifting up the cup of salvation in verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. 
Now, the cup of salvation is not primarily about communion. The cup of salvation is salvation itself. It is embracing Christ. It's, it's accepting the full salvation that Jesus has died to bring. So, that moment when you first came to trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you were lifting the cup of salvation. It speaks there again in those verses about call on the name of the Lord. Lifting the cup of salvation is to understand who the Lord is and all that the Lord offers us through us, to us through what Jesus has done. And when we then take the cup of communion, the cup of communion is a reminder of that cup of salvation that we have already lifted. And we need that cup of communion. We need that constant reminder of the salvation that we have received because we need to live in the light and the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has brought to us. You see, it is crucial that we understand what salvation is. It's crucial that we keep salvation in our minds and in our thoughts. It's crucial that when we walk out our doors, we realize we're doing it as saved people. And that makes a difference in so many different ways. It makes a difference about the peace we have and when we face trials. It makes a difference about temptation and and our focus and direction in life. When we lift up the cup of salvation, we need to be reminded of the three ways in which we're saved from sin. The first and the primary way is we're saved from sin's guilt. By Jesus dying on the cross and us coming to trust in Him, when God looks at us, He doesn't see us in our sin but he sees us covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's as if our clothes, our dirty rags are taken off and the beautiful coat of Jesus is put over us to cover our shame, to cover our sin. So that's the first salvation, saving us from sin's guilt. But secondly, we are saved from sin's power. And remember, it's not just the sins we commit, but it's the sin that lives in us. It's that sinful nature. And when we trust in Jesus, we are born again. The power of the cross is applied to our souls so that we can have the victory over the power of sin in our lives day by day. And that's why it's so important that we, when we walk out the door, we realize we're a saved people. In Jesus, we can have the victory over sin. Okay, we'll not reach perfection in this life, but we are people who can change. We are people who can be different because of the grace of God. We're not just people who have our guilt taken away. We're people who in Christ know the victory over the power of temptation. So we're saved from sin's guilt. We're saved from sin's power. And thirdly, we're saved one day from sin's presence. When we leave this time, this world, this time, we go into glory. 
sin will be totally removed from us forever. And that's important to remember as well, because in the world to come, we will have joy beyond what we can imagine. We will have peace, which we will absolutely thrill us. And that will be experienced in a world in which there is no sin. What does the devil want us to think? Ugh, if you're too serious with this Christian stuff, if you too are too serious with this committing yourself to Jesus, if you're too serious with this holiness, you'll take all the joy out of your life. It's understanding that we will be the most joyful people that ever existed when we're totally delivered from the presence of sin. And the more we can live a life in this world without sin and with obedience to the Lord, the more we can live a life of abundant joy. So how do we respond to the Lord's love? It's lifting the cup of salvation. Then secondly, he speaks about paying vows in verse 14 and then verses 18 to 19. Verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now, I wonder what vows have you made to the Lord? There are public vows that we have made, maybe at baptism, either when we were baptized ourselves or we had children baptized. There are vows made at church membership uh, when indeed we commit ourselves to the people of God. Uh, vows made at marriage, some have taken recently, uh, vows taken those times. Vows for those of us who are elders at our ordination. I think it's very important for us to remember those vows. Maybe it's many years since we have taken some of those vows. But the thing is, they're as fresh in the mind of the Lord today as in those days when we uttered them. And he expects us to fulfill them today. So maybe we need to go back over and think about the vows we have taken. But there are also private vows. Vows which we have made at conversion to the Lord. Vows which we have made in our times of private prayer. There are vows that we make as we sing. And that's very important. Sometimes said Presbyterians don't tell lies. Presbyterians sing lies. Uh, do we mean what we sing? And when we're making a vow to the Lord, are we serious about it? Because he takes it seriously. He takes it very seriously because he is the God of truth. So let's remember, it might be a long time since we took our vows in some of these situations. But for the Lord, they're still as important today. And he expects us to continue to be fully committed to the vows that we have made. You see, the Lord wants us to be consistent. Jesus followed his vows all the way to the cross and to death. God expects us to seek to have a similar commitment. 
One of the interesting things in this psalm is it's a, it's a very personal psalm. If you look at the psalm, the number of times at the start of different lines that begins with the word I. I will walk before the Lord. I believed. I said. I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows. So it's a very personal psalm. But notice here about these vows. It says in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So God expects us to keep our vows, to live out our vows, to live out our commitment to the Lord among his people. We are to be an example to his people. We are to live as part of his people. We cannot keep these vows. We cannot live the Christian life in isolation. We can only do it when we are fully committed to the fellowship of God's people. And so, the Lord is expecting us to live it out before others. And it's such a tremendously encouraging thing when, when you're in church and you see other Christians living out their Christian life. It's very discouraging when you see them not being faithful. But it's a very encouraging thing. I think it was last week at the, the Grow Groups, uh, I was saying one of the lovely things that I find encouraging is when I, I see people living out what they have read or what has been taught particularly by people who are quiet. I was sharing the example of one lady who has since gone to glory, and I was visiting her in Antrim Hospital. I think it was maybe a Tuesday. She had been at church on the Sunday, sitting in here. We had been talking about the importance of sharing the gospel, and I went to visit her in the hospital, and one of the things she wanted to talk was not herself and her situation, but the fact that a wee lady beside her, younger lady beside her, she had shared Jesus with her. And she said, William, I just knew I had to do it from what you said on Sunday. Uh, and, it, and that's so lovely. When a quiet believer, uh, that's sometimes my, my greatest encouragement when I'm talking privately to some of our quiet believers, people who come in and out and don't say very much, but are living out their Christian life faith. So if you're a, a quiet person who will never be up front doing stuff, I want you to realize what you do is noticed. And what you do does make a difference to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the final thing about expressing our love is offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving in verses 15 to 17. In the Old Testament, after a time of blessing, God's people would offer a sacrifice in order to express their thankfulness to the Lord for what He has done. And what is being spoken about here is moving beyond performing our duty, what we think we have to do, to doing something that we just really want to do to show the Lord the extent of our love. Here we have 
hearts that have been enlarged, hearts that have been captivated by the Lord and what he has done for us. And so we want to express our thanksgiving. And notice how it's done. It's through a sacrifice. It costs something. There's none of this easy Christianity where you just do things when it's easy and when it's comfortable and when it's convenient. It's doing it when it's not easy, not comfortable, not convenient. Doing it because you want to do it to the Lord, not out of a reluctant sense of duty, but doing it because, Lord, I'm going to do this because I have so much to thank you for. I have so much to praise you for. Now, the two things that are mentioned here for motivating this thanksgiving are, first of all, verse 15, God's love in death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'm sure you've heard that preached sometimes at a funeral. Why is the death of the saints precious to God? Well, I think the death of a saint is precious to God because the Lord really is concerned about what we go through. And death is not a natural thing. Death is an evil invader into this world. And the Lord is concerned when his people face that death. But it's also precious to the Lord, the death of his saints, because it means where are we going? We're going into his closer presence. We're coming to be with him and to gather around the throne. Oh, if only we could grasp, if we could just grasp the smile that's on the face of the Lord as he waits for his people to come to him. If only we could grasp just the love that he has for us. It really would change our lives in many ways. The second thing that's mentioned here as a motivation for this thanksgiving is God's deliverance in verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. The picture here is of someone who's been set free from slavery. And surely the, the slavery that we have been set free from is the bondage of sin. To be able to understand the gospel, to be able to understand the Lord, to be able to read his word, to be able to worship him, to be able to serve him, what a freedom that is. What a delight that is. And it's that she gives a great sense that the Lord has so brought it to us that we're filled with praise and thanksgiving. Because, listen, we could be living in the world. We could be living among the unsaved. I was in communication with someone yesterday uh, online, and he was making a joke about if something happened to do politically. Uh, if something happened, he says, I might even become good living. And I just replied to him, it's not in your power to become good living. 
And he responded by saying, and it's not in my interest. And I just left a wee, quote, wee verse with him. I didn't give the quote, but just the, the reference for him to look up himself. I thought if I can get him to open the Bible out of curiosity, who knows where that leads to. And it's, what should a man gain if he gains the whole world, yet lose his soul? And yet we could be like that tonight. We could be those who are just living for this world, living just to feather our own nest, have no regard for the Lord. We could be like that. But the grace of God has set us free. Set us free not to do what we want. Set us free to live for His glory, His honor, which He truly deserves. So what have we heard tonight? Reasons for love. Responding to her cries, deliverance from death, gracious character, faith in trials, and then expressing our love, lifting the cup of salvation, paying vows, offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this lovely psalm. And we just thank you for the psalmist, whoever he is, who wrote this, that you put these words into his heart and life. And Father, we just thank you just for the way that he knew you and the way he experienced your grace, your mercy, your deliverance, Father, in his life. And Father, we just pray that you would be more and more real to us. Father, even over these next few days, and particularly on Sunday as we meet around the table, Lord, that somehow we would have a little taste of what it was like for Peter, James, and John, and, and Andrew, and the rest in the upper room. What it is to, to dine with the Savior. What it is to listen to the Savior. What it is to be fed by Christ. Oh, Father, may Jesus be real to us. May Jesus capture our hearts. Father, may his light shine much brighter into our lives than the bright lights of this world. Oh, Lord, may Jesus be our all in all. Father, I want to pray for those within our fellowship who are going through trials of different kind. You know their situation. And just for those, Father, who are recovering after surgery, for others, Father, who have different illnesses. Father, just bless them, Lord, as they go to appointments, as they would meet with doctors. May they know your grace. May they know your help. May they know your healing touch. May they know your peace that we have spoken of here tonight. And Father, just pray for the lady we were thinking about on Sunday night, for Pavi in Finland. Lord, And just pray that as this case has Stop for now, Lord, that you just be with her and her family. Give them a great sense of peace, Lord, and our co-defending too. And just pray that when the, the case is resumed for closing arguments in February, Lord, that you would just rule and overrule in that situation. We pray tonight too for our brothers and sisters, Father, in Ukraine. We do realize there's a concern, there's a threat there, Father. I pray, Father, that you would restrain the hand of Russia at this time. Pray, Father, that you would guide the Western governments to do what is right, Lord, and what they can do. And I just pray, Father, that war 
would not take place. I just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ particularly, that they would know your grace being sufficient for them in that land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.